biology. 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 Hello and welcome to another episode of the HSC Biology Podcast. Last time on the podcast, we spoke about the third line of defense. We're looking at the adaptive immune response. That is a specific response to make B and T cells that either destroy, take apart cells, or produce antibodies that basically stop them from functioning. Now, today's episode is going to go through two dot points. The first is actually jumping back just a little bit. And it is looking at the analyzed responses to the presence of pathogens by assessing the physical and chemical changes that occur in the host's animal cells and tissues. So quite a bit there, but the reason we're going back to this stop point is because the physical and chemical changes are all the things we've spoken about in the last couple of episodes. So some physical changes that occur. Now, it is asking for a response. So we can't really talk about barriers here. We need to talk about something that the body does. So a physical response would be part of the second line of defense. And some things you would remember would be things like an increase in the diameter of blood vessels, an increase in the permeability of blood vessels so that those white blood cells can get out easier. Um, we uh, increase the temperature of the body and surrounding tissues, we have the ability to develop blood clots, our lymph nodes swell up, we get vomiting, diarrhea, and we also have our microbiome, which actively works to minimize the ability of other pathogens to get established in certain parts of our body. Now, in terms of chemical changes or chemical responses that we have, in, once again, that second line of defense, we have the secretion of histamines. And that's a good one because it relates directly to the increase in the diameter of blood vessels and the permeability. So those histamines are released in order to increase blood flow to the area. We also have the chemicals that produce blood clots and we also uh, release pyrogens. And a pyrogen is a chemical that induces a fever, so it increases the entire body temperature, not just the area that has been um, that has been breached. Now, if we look a little deeper, we get into the adaptive immune responses. And some of the chemicals that we can talk about here in the adaptive immune response, once again, we have spoken about recently, and that is the production of cytokines. And a cytokine is a chemical, it's, it's really a general name for many chemicals that are released in that sort of third line of defense response. Um, but one good one to, to think about is, uh, or one good one to remember, would be the cytokine that's released to produce the plasma cells, or the B cells that turn into plasma cells, and the cytotoxic T cells. And that is interleukin. So interleukin is a type of cytokine, and that stimulates the production of those cells. And we also have things like complement proteins. And complement proteins, as I've said in the previous episode, are proteins that basically send a chemical cascade out to warn the the body that this thing is bad. So um, they have many different abilities of what they can do. Um, And one simple one to remember, a complement protein, what it does, 
is once that chemical cascade has occurred, a particular type of protein can come down on the uh, bacterial cell and it can actually penetrate the cell wall. So it almost like punctures a hole in it um, and allows the, uh, the fluid to either go out or go in depending on the bacteria's makeup. So the function of complement proteins would also fit in the chemical responses. So that really answers the question. And if you did the second and third line correctly, you would have a lot of good physical and chemical responses to talk about anyway. Um, so just be aware that that's what they'd be asking you to do. It is an analyzed question, so they may be asking you to go into a bit of detail with this one. So make sure you do have some good examples of the specific chemicals I mentioned, like histamines, like cytokines, interleukin, um, and the complement proteins. They're all great examples. Uh, pyrogens would be another one. All right, now we're going to move on to the next part of the syllabus, which is the dot point just underneath what we did last week, which is explain how the immune system responds after primary exposure to a pathogen, including innate and acquired immunity. Well, again, we've, we've already done this one. So we've already gone through what the body does um, after a primary exposure to a pathogen. So our innate immune response is the non-specific use of macrophages and again increased blood flow, the inflammation response, uh, phagocytosis, all those things and the adaptive immune system or the acquired immune system is taking that information and turning it into uh, an, a knowledge for the B and T cells to make specific killing machinery. Uh, so that's really after primary exposure to a pathogen what happens but this is where it's good to actually talk about the secondary exposure to a pathogen. And I have seen this come up quite a bit. So after we have had primary exposure to a pathogen, we should have developed those memory B and T cells. And those memory B and T cells are really going to be useful for a secondary attack. And when we talk about a secondary attack, this is also why vaccines are so important. Now to help us understand how we respond after our primary and secondary exposures to pathogens, there's a really nice graph that's been provided by the additional HSC sample questions um, on the NASA website. Now I'm going to upload this to the Facebook page, so make sure you check it out if you want to see it. But basically it's an annotated graph that shows the concentration of antibodies over time after the primary and secondary exposure to a pathogen. So how does your body produce antibodies differently after the first attack and the second attack from the same pathogen? Now on the diagram, they've annotated all the different things that occur, which I'm just going to read through now. And in order, these are the things that happen to minimize the damage that a pathogen causes if you manage to encounter it again. So obviously when you encounter a pathogen for the first time, you have no antibodies, you have no memory B and T cells, so you're going to start at concentration zero. But over time, you're slowly going to be learning how to overcome this pathogen. And so you are going to start making antibodies eventually. Now your antibody numbers will be you know, quite numerous, they will be large and they will hopefully get rid of the pathogen. Um, and so the plasma cells will produce a high concentration of antibodies to overcome that pathogen. Now hopefully they do overcome it and you will get to a peak level of antibody production. And that will mean that the pathogen has been overcome and it has been either removed from the body or is no longer a threat. 
Now your antibody numbers after an attack will decrease, they will go down. And that will take some time again to go down. But at the end of it all, you will actually still be left with some of those antibodies. They will still be in your body. As well as, and the most important part here, memory B and memory T cells. Now those memory B and T cells have been produced to a certain amount. You have a certain amount of them in your body ready to go. Now upon secondary exposure to the same pathogen, which is important, your memory T and B cells are going to be activated very quickly. Now, because they don't have to go through the learning process, they can basically immediately start differentiating into those plasma cells. Now, those plasma cells, once again, are going to produce antibodies. But this time, they're going to make antibodies in much larger numbers, up to three times as much, and in about probably half the time. Now, it depends on the graph that you look at, but I always just explain that it will make a lot more antibodies and it will do it a lot quicker than before. Now the idea behind that is obviously the more antibodies you have, the more ability you're going to have to stop that pathogen. So your peak antibody production is going to be significantly higher after your secondary exposure. Now this doesn't mean that you've gotten sick because you have produced a whole bunch of antibodies really quickly. So what's most likely to have happened is that you've overcome the pathogen without even realizing it was in you again. And so once again, once you've overcome that pathogen, your antibody production will slow down, but you will have another higher level of immunity than before. Your antibody levels will remain higher in your blood, and you will have more memory B and T cells. And once again, if you do get exposed a third time, which wouldn't surprise me if they put it in the HSC, your production will be more rapid and in more numbers again. So that's the idea behind it. Now, it's also a really good idea to bring up vaccines here when we talk about primary and secondary exposure because a vaccine's purpose is to induce the primary exposure part of the graph. So the primary exposure to a pathogen will initiate that first response and then your secondary response will be much greater. And that's the beauty of a vaccine. It is all about getting you ready for that secondary exposure and when it comes your body is already ready it has already learnt. so we're going to now talk about some of the vaccines that you uh, can get um, and we're going to look at how they work differently to give you immunity so the three different types of vaccines we're going to look at are using whole viruses or bacteria using parts of a virus or using the genetic material now, each of those can be broken down into further categories. I'm not going to go into too much detail today, but I'll go into hopefully enough to give you a bit of information on how they stimulate that primary response. So the first kind of vaccine and the most effective is going to be something called a live attenuated vaccine. And a live attenuated vaccine is a weakened form of the original virus. It has been made or modified in a way that it does not cause the original disease. Now, why this one is the most effective is because it's made up of almost all the same parts as the original virus. So if you remember the shape of a virus and the structure, there are viral proteins on the outside, and these are recognized by our body as antigens. But any part of this virus is an antigen. 
Now on the inside is still a piece of DNA or RNA depending on the virus, but once again it has been modified in such a way that it does not cause damage. Now this primary exposure causes the same response to our immune system that the virus would have caused anyway. And so you'll go through the process of producing those memory B and T cells all the same. And so the stronger your response, the higher level of immunity you're going to have. So you really do want to get a response to these viruses. Now, another form of the same kind of virus is an inactivated virus. So this is basically a dead virus. The same virus with the same proteins and the same material, but it's been completely killed. And so it's either been heated up to a point where it can't live anymore or chemically um, altered in some way where it's no longer able to function. Now, once again, that virus will have the same viral proteins and the same information, but it's not going to be an active virus. It's not going to have any of the other abilities that the live attenuated would have that um, really sets off your immune system in a better way. Um, so they're the two main types of whole microbe approaches or the whole uh, virus approaches that we use and both stimulate that primary response that hopefully builds the memory B and T cells that we want. Now if they're not effective immediately we can do something called a booster shot and that's usually done when we go to the next approach but a booster shot is just a second round of the same thing basically and the booster shot is going to be designed to once again stimulate your immune system to make those memory B and T cells. Now if you remember my explanation of the graph each time you go through the process you have a higher level of immunity and so you want to get to a point where your memory B and memory T cells are at a high enough level in your body that if the real virus was to come in, you would have a much more rapid response. And that's really the purpose of that booster shot, increase those memory B and T cells. So they're the whole microbe approaches, live attenuated vaccines and inactivated vaccines or an inactivated virus vaccine. And they're both pretty effective. Now the other one that you can get is where they take parts of the virus and insert them in you instead. Now this is really called the subunit approach and usually they'll inject you with the more dangerous parts of the viral proteins or the most likely parts that are going to cause a response. And if you remember me speaking about antigens or markers that are present on the outside of a virus, these are the most likely parts to be used because they're the first ones your body are going to have access to. And so they may remove those viral spikes from the viruses and insert them into your body. Now, those particles are useless by themselves. There's no genetic material, so they're really going to cause no no harm in particular. So these are what you would say uh, less impactful in terms of your body's response, uh, but they're also less dangerous in terms of those individuals who may be immunocompromised. Um, and so they're the ones that really need to watch out for those live attenuated viruses uh, because there can be some adverse reactions. But the subunit vaccines are less dangerous in that approach, but unfortunately they're also less effective. Sometimes your body won't even respond at all to them. 
And so what you need to add to the vaccine is something called an adjuvant. And an adjuvant is basically like a little tiny finger that's poking your immune system to say, hey, can you come over here and look at this thing? I promise you it's dangerous. When in reality, it's just the viral proteins. But you want your body to recognize it as bad. You want it to undergo that process of adaptive immune response where you're creating those memory B and T cells. Now, these ones are much more likely to use the booster shot because they're less effective. So the subunit approach, using parts of the virus to inject that into an individual and stimulate the production of those antibodies, memory B and T cells once again. Now, the last one is the nucleic acid vaccine. That is the insertion of DNA or mRNA. But the way this one works is what they're inserting into you are instructions for your body to actually make, once again, parts of the virus that your body can recognize as an antigen. So you're inserting some instructions for your body's protein factories to start making those antigenic protein projections from the virus so that your body can then recognize them as bad and destroy them. So it's a pretty interesting way, and this is relatively new, um, but super interesting. So the instruction for the viral protein is injected into you, and once again, you potentially need an adjuvant to get your body to recognize it. Um, once they are incorporated into the cell or into your nucleus, um, the proteins that are made are going to be those viral spike proteins, and those viral sp spike proteins are going to once again set off your immune response to once again create those memory B and T cells. So a really interesting way to overcome viruses using a vaccine. So just to reiterate again, we have three main approaches. We have a whole virus, which is either going to be a live attenuated or an inactivated vaccine. We have a part of a virus. So these are the subunit viruses where we inject parts that are either the most dangerous parts or the parts that our body can pick up. Or we have the genetic material approach, the nucleic acids, where we insert mRNA or DNA into the body and into the cells so that you make those viral proteins and our body can once again learn, develop the memory B and T cells and have a response. In each case, we are likely to need a booster shot to ensure that we create a high level of memory B and T cells or a higher level of memory B and T cells so that if the actual virus was to attack again, we would have an appropriate number to overcome it. Well, as always, I hope you got something out of that today. And uh, make sure you check out STEM Reactor at stemreactor.com.au if you do want to check out any awesome biotechnology gears. So that's stemreactor.com.au. 